Your phone tells you that it needs to update to the next software. You begrudgingly upgrade to the next level. It starts glitching. And when it starts glitching, you're like, oh, why did I upgrade? Why did I bother? But then guess what? It sorts out. You've got the best camera in the world. Everything's back to normal again. It's faster and it's better. That's what upgrading in life is like. There's a period of glitching. Hey everyone, welcome back to On Purpose. Thank you so much for coming back every single week to listen, learn, and grow. And today I want to dive into a topic about reclaiming our careers, having that moment where we reconnect with our work because this has been such a strange time. And so I want to give you four tips for upgrading yourself and your career. Now, when something happens and things come apart, especially when we don't have a choice about it. It feels like all we want is for things to be what they used to be, for us to get back to normal. How many of you have had that feeling over the last few months of, I wish everything would go back to normal, right? And maybe normal wasn't even that good, but it's better than what we're experiencing now, right? Does that resonate where you're like, well, normal was okay. I mean, I wanted my life to be better than it was, but that certainty was better than the uncertainty that I'm facing right now. And it's getting clearer by the day that there will be no return. We'll never be able to go back to the world as it was before COVID-19. But If we can learn to focus on the opportunities that are present, we can actually become people who are stronger and more resilient than we were before. This is really important that we have a new normal, but it's almost like our aspiration for normality is what creates complacency and what creates average in our lives. Stay with me. I really want to address this point that we're always seeking normalcy. But that creates complacency. It creates stagnancy. And that's what creates the challenges that we face. When things find a normal, that creates more challenges as abnormal things arise. Whereas if you're always growing and evolving, and by the way, your body is, by the way, your mind is, By the way, everything around you that's doing well is growing. I'll give you the example. Just look at nature, right? And nature is a brilliant way to understand this. If you look out, are the trees staying the same? No, they may be in the same position, right? They're not moving house, right? The trees aren't moving home or location, but they're growing. They're moving closer towards the sun. They're growing flowers. They're growing fruits. Their roots are growing deeper and they're growing larger. Like they are growing. Things are not staying the same. They're not staying still. And I think we have this obsession with things staying the same, that certainty, that security. But actually what we have to realize is staying the same does not create security. It actually creates more issues. It actually creates more challenges. Imagine a company never changed. I'll give an example. Let's look at Google. Google, believe it or not, I've read was the 21st search engine. So it was not the first search engine. But today, is Google just a search engine? Not at all. 
Google has Google ads. We all know about that. We all get those. And now that I've mentioned it and you're listening to it, probably your phone is going to find the next uh, Google ad to show you. But we have Google ads. Google tried to build Google glasses. They're looking at driverless cars, right? Google has Google Mail. It has Google Calendar. There's Google Office, right? There's just so many more evolutions of a product. Now, let's say Google said, you know what? We're just going to stay the same. We're going to remain the 21st search engine and we're just going to be a search engine and that's all we're going to be. How long do you think they would have lasted? Let's look at Amazon. Amazon, when they started out, remember they were just about books. All that they sold on Amazon was books. Today, don't we go to Amazon for everything? Imagine they were like, no, we want to stay the same. We want to stay the same no matter what changes outdoors, externally, economically, socially, psychologically, no matter how behaviors change, we're going to stay the same. So this striving for normality actually creates so many challenges in our life. So how do we go back to our work more resilient, more powerful and with more energy is what I want to dive into today. And what I want to do with you is share these ideas in a way that you can actually practically apply them. So get your pen and paper out. If you can't right now, take a screenshot of this podcast because I want you to come back to this moment and be able to take notes as well if you can. And by the way, if you can't, you can still listen right now and this will be as impactful. So listen to this. Some of us have lost our jobs. Some of us have had the way we work change dramatically such as remote working or working with our kids while homeschooling? How do we prepare for this new era when we're not even sure what's coming next? How do we come back stronger? How do we use this as an opportunity to upgrade ourselves or create your 2.0 or 3.0 or whatever you want to do, the next version of yourself? And think about it. If you look at your phones, if you look at your software, it's always updating. Now we know, listen to this carefully because I know what you're going to say, or at least I'm thinking ahead. When you update your software, it sometimes glitches and you're like, oh, I wish I could have the old software again. But that glitch needs to be experienced in order to create the upgrade or the update, right? How many times have you ever had that where your phone tells you that it needs to update to the next software? You begrudgingly upgrade to the next level. It starts glitching. And when it starts glitching, you're like, oh, why did I upgrade? Why did I bother? But then guess what? It sorts out. You've got the best camera in the world. Everything's back to normal again. It's faster and it's better. That's what upgrading in life is like. There's a period of glitching. And our problem is that we're so scared of the glitch, that momentary discomfort, that momentary feeling and experience of uncertainty that we avoid the glitch altogether. So we avoid the upgrade. Now, if you've already been through major setbacks in your life, if you've already been through some major upgrades in your life, you might be working on your 3.0 or even your 5.0. But the point is, how do you use what's happening now to create the next best version of yourself and the next best version of your career, knowing we can't go back to the way things were before? The fact that we are experiencing this challenging situation, how do we do it? Now, I've already talked to you in some prior episodes about improving your mental strength, your resilience, and your focus. And if you didn't get a chance to listen to those episodes, I highly recommend you go back and do that when you have an opportunity, because those are all skills that will play into creating the next best version of yourself. They're almost like the key software needed for this upgrade. 
So let's get on to those four things, four tips I have for you, what you can do to move forward in your career from a position of strength. You know, one of the best qualities an athlete can have is to be able to play both offensively and defensively. Now, I don't mean in a game like American football that you would play both quarterback and linebacker. I mean more in a game like tennis, where sometimes you need to play offensively and sometimes you need to play defensively. And this is a really, really important point because it's a rare skill and it usually applies not on team sports. And even though life has team sport elements, there's often times in life where you feel alone, where you feel like you're batting for yourself. And that's why it's so important to understand how to switch positions. When you look at the greats, players like Roger Federer, Rafael Nadal, Novak Djokovic, Serena Williams, or looking back to Steffi Graf or Arthur Ashe, all of those players were great because they could play both offensively and defensively. Now, each of them has or had their own style and their own strengths, but you can't be a champion at a game like tennis without being able to run and stretch for balls that seem out of reach. Then hustle back just in time to catch the next return and get it back just to stay in the point. That's defensive play. But you also can't finish points and you can't win games with any regularity without also being able to take charge and play offensively. To run to the net and volley or go for that shot right down the line. You've, you've tried it if you played tennis before. But like these great athletes, you need to be able to play both offensively and defensively. That's tip number one. Play both offense and defense. In the work world, that means you need to be able to stay in the point. You need to be able to keep yourself in the game, to be flexible, to roll with the punches and hang in there. Every day is not going to be your best day in life or in your career or even your best week or month, but hang in there. Stay in the game. You can't win a game you're not playing, right? Just like those tennis players racing across the court to get to that ball so they can just stay in the point. Keep showing up. Some days are hard. You're chasing that ball. You're running around. You're sweating. You're out of energy. That's reality. It doesn't necessarily mean you're doing something wrong, right? Notice that. When that player is running side to side, front to back, sweating profusely. They don't think they're doing it wrong. Sometimes those are the points that are the most celebrated when they win them. Sometimes those are the rallies that bring them the confidence and strength they need to push on. Think about this really deeply. You may be doing everything right and you think you're doing it wrong and it is your thought that you think you're doing it wrong that makes it feel wrong. Right, We think, oh no, I shouldn't be stressing out. I shouldn't be sweating. I shouldn't be running around. But look at that athlete. That's exactly what they're doing. And they realize that that's what it takes to stay in the point, to stay in the game. Look at how many people have lost their jobs over the last few months. What's going to help those who become successful in the months and years to come and those who don't, part of it is showing up continuously. And by the way, if you've lost your job at this time, this is not me making you feel bad about it at all. This is not my aim. My aim is that sometimes you lose that game. Sometimes you, you know, you lose a series. Sometimes you lose the year, but staying in the game is, is part of the game. And if you're still in the game, you can't start looking for your shots. You can look for opportunities and you can capitalize on them. When something goes wrong, especially colossally wrong, as it feels for so many right now, 
it's easy to feel as if that's the opposite of an opportunity, right? How many of you feel that way that when things are going wrong and, you know, right now there's lots of challenges, right now there's lots of issues, but how many times do you feel that when things are going wrong, you just start to think, oh, well, there's no opportunities right now. I've spoken to so many entrepreneurs recently who who literally have told me like, oh, there's no business right now. You know, I've just got to take a hit. It is the way it is. And then at the same time, I've spoken to some entrepreneurs who've used this to become the biggest opportunity in their life. So I was reading, and in an article in The Economist, Adam Grant, an organizational psychologist at the Wharton School of the University of Pennsylvania, says that COVID-19 is likely to transform three aspects of our work life. Number one, that we'll actually experience increased job satisfaction. Number two, that we'll see more ethical leadership. And number three, that we'll experience a deeper sense of trust in our employers. Now, this is overall, of course, not every company, but Grant cites multiple studies that show that when people get jobs during a financial crisis, they are more satisfied with their jobs, even as long as 10 to 15 years later. This is due to increased overall gratitude for what their job affords, whether it's the paycheck, the opportunity to interact with colleagues, or the stimulation that our job may offer, right? It's huge. We're more likely to be grateful for things we took for granted. So while it might feel like the whole economic and work world has just come apart, In some ways, things look like they could be changing for the better for us individually if we adapt this way. But again, it's true. It can be so hard to fully appreciate that in the moment right now, right? It's like someone saying to you like, hey, this all happens for a reason. There's good in everything. And you're like, well, how's it good? I can't feed my kids or I can't pay my bills. It can be hard to think there are opportunities present right now. As Steve Jobs told new graduates in famous Stanford commencement speech, by the way, I used to listen to that speech at one point in time every single day. And it became the voice in my head. It was so powerful. I highly recommend creating habits like that. But in that famous speech, he said, connecting the dots is something you do after the fact, when you look back, right? You can't connect the dots moving forward, Steve Jobs said. You only can when you're looking backwards. Rarely in the moment do you see what feels like a failure or what seems a terrible turn of events as an opportunity. It's when we look back that we see, I'm so glad that person broke up with me because three months later, I met the person who became my, the love of my life. Or I'm so glad I lost that job because I realized I wasn't really happy there anyway. And it forced me to get out of my troublesome situation and consider what is truly what I want to do in my life. But it almost never feels like that in the moment, right? And I'm not asking you to say, hey, this financial insecurity or this feeling stretched trying to work while seeing to my kids, schooling is the best thing ever. That's not what I'm encouraging. We need to be honest with ourselves. In this moment, it probably feels like a struggle. That's okay. But you can still look for the smaller opportunities that are present. For some people, not having a job at the moment or having reduced hours is giving them loads of extra time. That's a major opportunity. It's an opportunity to build our skills. And that's tip number two to upgrading yourself in your career please learn a new skill. How often have you said, I just wish I had more time, time to read those books, time to go on a seminar, a course, time to do a qualification, time to develop a new skill you know would be valuable in your career or in the career you'd like to switch or to a job you'd like to grow into. 
Maybe you want to take communication skills workshop or a seminar on coding. Or maybe you want to download Duolingo and learn a language or hop on Coursera. Or, you know, maybe you want to do a course or coaching program with me. Maybe you've been wishing you could bolster your bio on LinkedIn or write an article that you want to post there or on Medium or submit to an industry magazine. Now you have the time. That's a major opportunity. And according to Laurie Kahn, CEO of Media Staffing Network, which is a headhunting firm for a media job, when companies start hiring again, they will be looking to what people did in this time to build their skills and their resumes. So during these weeks and months, were you playing video games like I did sometimes? Or were you growing yourself? Were you expanding your skill set and your knowledge base? Were you preparing for your next work or career opportunity? Now, the closest I can relate to having that challenge is when I left being a monk and I was in London, I hadn't worked for three years and no one wanted to hire me. And, I've, and I mentioned this before, I was rejected from 40 companies before an interview. I applied to 40 companies and none of them gave me an interview. And it was painful. Like it was, it was really tough because I didn't have any money either. I was living off of very little that I had, that I had from support from family and friends, very, very little, extremely little. I probably had about like maybe just less than a hundred pounds per month. It was tough. And I also didn't see a way out. And I remember every day I'd go to the library and I'd read a book. I'd read books on personal development and I'd read books on the Vedas and the ancient texts that I studied as a monk to reaffirm my, my spiritual grounding and foundations. But there was such a time of growth there that now I look back and I'm so grateful I made that decision. Now, there's another point I want to mention, and it might sound a bit contradictory to what I just said about using this as an opportunity to build your skills, but that is that maybe you also needed a bit of a break. In our 24-7 work culture, where more often than not, people have a job and a side hustle. They have somewhere they go for their regular work. Then they're also trying to build a business or a brand on the side. Lots of us are overworked. Lots of us are on planes. I was just speaking to a friend this morning and she was saying, Jay, I used to get on a plane to go to work on Monday morning and then fly back on Friday. She hasn't been on a plane for months. How many of you felt completely overworked? If that's you, maybe having a few extra hours to rest and recover is a good thing. So don't push yourself beyond what's healthy. When I was talking to Dr. Daniel Amen on this podcast, we had him on a, two episodes now. He's been probably the only guest, apart from my wife, that we've had on for two episodes. He's an expert on the brain and brain health. He told me that in the past, decades ago, when there was less technology, most of us got in the neighborhood of nine hours of sleep a night. Now you're thinking, nine hours? I can't imagine that. How could I ever get any, anything done? But according to Dr. Amen, most of us are now getting closer to seven hours of sleep or less. Some of us are only getting six to six and a half hours of sleep, and most of us are suffering because of it. Our brains are not performing at top functionality, and in the long term, too little sleep can be a cause of major disease, including dementia. So if you need that rest, if you are burning the candle at both ends, use at least some of your time to take a break. Take that break. It's super, super important. Now, tip three. For those of you working remotely and for those of you who now have more flexibility in when and how you work, 
Notice what work habits help you be the most focused and productive. And guess what? It's often not just more time on task. It's not as simple as working more hours. For those who are juggling two careers and kids in their house or a single parent house where you're doing everything, you don't have extra hours, I get it. So lots of people are by necessity having to figure out how to be more productive in less time. And that means creating more focus. So use this chance to notice what's working for you. What's making you more productive? Many people are realizing that when they focus, they can get the same amount of work done in seven hours as they used to need nine hours in the office, right? It's the old saying that a task will take as long as you have to do it. If you have an hour, it'll take an hour. If you have 20 minutes, it will take 20 minutes. So when you do go back to a more normal work environment, what this will do is noticing what habits help you be more efficient and effective will help you be better at your job and balancing that with the rest of your life. I've heard so many friends say with kids and family that actually they are much more productive working from home. Or maybe some are saying, actually, I'm much more productive working from the office. And that makes you more grateful for the office when before you sometimes said, I wish I could work from home. So maybe you can spend more time with your kids or with your boyfriend or girlfriend or with a hobby or building your new business with that spare time. Cal Newport is a professor of computer science at Georgetown University and the author of books, Deep Work and Digital Minimalism. He says that one way to be more productive during fewer hours is to cultivate periods of intense focus. These could be as short as 45 minutes or as long as 90 minutes, after which you take a short break that's relative to the amount of focus time you worked on. So if you worked for 45 minutes, you might take a five minute break. Or if you work 75 minutes, you might take a 15 minute break to get some tea or snack or stretch or check social media. Ideally, not that last one because it can turn into a, you know, a real rabbit hole. You can carve your day up into these focused work break cycles. And it's so important to have regular breaks. I can't stress to you enough how one of the biggest mistakes we make in our days is that we don't have breaks set up. The point is that you don't do anything else during your focus time. If your kid needs something or your dog desperately needs to go out, I know you don't always have that luxury, but as much as possible, try not to let anything disrupt those periods. That's a method lots of people are using right now, breaking up that time since they can't be at their desk in the office for eight or nine or 10 hours. And people are shocked at how much more effective they can be in less time. That's a habit you can cultivate and take back to work with you. And according to Rahaf Harfush, who is a digital anthropologist and the author of the book, Hustle and Float, that's really the best way for knowledge workers to work. A lot of us these days are knowledge workers. We don't work in factories or in direct consumer service like at a retail store, though of course many still do. We work with information. Our jobs require a blend of productivity and creativity. In Hustle and Float, Rahaf Harfush breaks down the history of our work days. During the Industrial Revolution, lots of people came off the farms and went to work in factories, working long hours for little pay. Finally, with the creation of workers' unions, workers in many countries won the right to an eight-hour day. The data supported the fact that working beyond that was not only not good for workers' health and vitality, it was also bad for their performance. It was so bad, in fact, that studies showed that factories where workers worked longer than eight hours actually had lower profits and productivity than those where the workers limited shifts to eight hours. But here's where it really gets fascinating. 
Harfush and her team were interested in whether there was any difference for traditional factory workers on whom those studies were based and today's knowledge workers who often work longer hours and with no increase in pay. What she found was shocking. It wasn't that knowledge workers' performance declined after eight hours. It was that knowledge workers' performance declined after six hours. Working longer than six hours a day on creatively intensive tasks actually led to declines in performance. Now, I know you're probably thinking, Jay, if I tell my boss I can only work six hours a day, I'll definitely get fired or no one will ever hire me. And I get that. The point is, even if you're a knowledge worker, there are probably aspects of your job that do not require as much creativity or very little creativity. We all pretty much have smaller tasks and to-dos that are more mechanical. If we can balance our focused creative time and maximize those six hours, then we can use some of that other time for our less creative or more automated tasks, maybe like filling out standard reports or doing other paperwork, making phone calls, sending emails. I do that all the time. I batch my work so that I have chunks of creative time alternated with meetings and phone calls. I try to minimize how much I switch back and forth. And that philosophy and approach to work kind of blends the advice from Cal Newport and the data from Rahaf Harfush. So number three, take this time to practice and notice ways of working that help you be more focused and efficient. And guess what? It will help you enjoy your work more too. Because feeling effective and feeling like you got in some focused time feels good. It's a win-win. You know, during challenging times, I like to look to stories where people have overcome seemingly insurmountable obstacles, where people might have said or thought, I thought my life was over, but instead emerged stronger. There's a story of a young girl from Milwaukee, Wisconsin. She had a tough childhood. She was abused. She grew up in poverty. As a young girl, she ran away from home. At age 14, she became pregnant and had a baby boy who died a short time later. But as Oprah Winfrey says, these early challenges helped to shape her future. Of course, Oprah had no idea at the time that she would one day be the head of a media empire and herself have a net worth in the billions of US dollars. But as a young girl, when she met with hardship, she focused on the next thing, then the next thing, then the next thing. And that's tip number four to upgrading yourself and your career. Focus on the next thing. Again, going back to that connecting the dots, we can't see the big picture and we shouldn't stress about the big picture at this moment. Just take a breath and focus on what's in front of you right now. For Oprah Winfrey, it was her schoolwork. She became an honor student. Then she entered a public speaking contest, which she won. You can see how doing what was right in front of her at that moment and taking that one next step eventually led to her career. After high school, she secured a college scholarship to study speech communications. During that time, she took a small job at a local radio station reading news announcements. Two years later, the station offered her a job as a co-anchor. Then she went on to host the local television news in Baltimore, and on it went, one step at a time, focus on the next thing, take the single next step. Whether it's reading that book or that article or listening to that podcast, whether it's finding a mentor in your field or the field you'd like to get into, whether it's updating your LinkedIn profile, then letting you know people know you're available for hire, focus on taking that one next step. 
Laurie Kahn, the CEO of Media Staffing Network, who I mentioned earlier, says 94% of hiring originates through word of mouth, whether it's through friends, former co-workers, referral programs. The next step might be letting people know you're available for hire. Whatever it is, focusing on that thing you feel will take you just one step closer to the career you want, whether it's a new job entirely or a new way of doing the job you already have. So let's review the four steps to creating you 2.0, 3.0, or 6.0. Tip number one, when it comes to work, learn to play both offense and defense. When you're playing defense, you're staying flexible. You're doing what you need to do to stay in the game, right? It's really, really important. Tip number two is learn a new skill or collect knowledge from your field. Listen to podcasts, books, read articles, whatever it may be for you. Do courses and seminars. Invest in this time. Tip number three, to practice ways of being more effective and focused at your work. Come up with new habits and routines. And tip number four, focus on the next thing. Thank you for listening to On Purpose. I hope this is going to help you and so many people in your life. Share the podcast, pass it along if it makes a difference in yours. Please, please, please leave a review as well. It means the world to me. And I can't wait to see you again next week. Thank you for listening.